Uh, we come now to the time of prayer, and as we always have done in these meetings, we want to begin with uh, opening this book, our favorite book, that gives us uh, grounds from which to pray. Okay, I see Marcia also has one. What a coincidence. <laughs> All right, I want to open to Genesis chapter 26. Uh, this is the life of uh, the great patriarch, Isaac. And we come to a point in time here where the covenant line has moved from the epic life of Abraham now to the life of his son, Isaac. And you can feel the tension in the writing, in the reader's mind, because all eyes have now passed on from Abraham to Isaac. And the vital matter that everyone's asking is this, will the promises of God make it? Will they live on? Can the overwhelming odds that Abraham survived be likewise survived by Isaac? Or you could ask it another way. You could say, will the provision of God that sustained Isaac, or so that sustained Abraham, is that provision sufficient also for the next generation? And, you know, we could ask the same thing, and I think we have been this whole time. We could ask, will the provision that God gave to the earliest disciples, to Luther and the Reformers, to Wesley's, to Whitfield, to Edwards and New England, to Erlo Stegen and South Africa, to Jeremiah Lanfear in New York, and so, so many others. Is that sufficient for us in our day? Because we face challenges in our day, don't we? And is, does this time not feel darker than others? Or does it? So I want to look at this question in Genesis 26. Um, start reading in verse 14. Isaac had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. It was a common tactic to deny an enemy his water supply. Uh, maybe the Philistines threw in dead animal carcasses to poison the water source and then followed it up with large boulders, earth, wood, and other debris, anything that could prevent someone from the surface drawing water down from below. And the situation that's faced by Isaac and his people is dire. I want us to understand that. His flocks, his herds, his servants, they all needed water to live. And it is that very thing that has been denied them by the Philistines. If they do not get water, it's plain and simple, they will perish or they cannot survive in that place. And the promises of God to Abraham and all his seed, this hangs in the balance. I wonder, do we understand that in the same way the predicament faced by the church today is a matter of her very survival? We are not in a position today of going from better to best. We are in a position today where our survival hangs in the balance. 
I think this past year, all of us have grown accustomed, perhaps, to living under a state of emergency. Because more states of emergency have been declared in the past year than maybe any of us remember in your city, in your region, in your county, in your province, or in your state. It maybe seems normal to us by this point. I wonder, have we come to a point where we have declared a spiritual state of emergency, where we have understood that our very survival is at stake and we need something beyond the normal action? Because if we do not act now, and act decisively and act in a coordinated way, we will lose, we will die. Do you feel the intensity of your need, of your true need like that? What is the church's only hope for life and vitality? I mean, where are her wells of water? And I want to let Jesus Christ himself answer that question loud and clear. He does so from John chapter 7. On the last day of the Feast of Booths, Jesus stood and he cried out in a loud voice, Kradzo, he screamed. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And the gospel writer just clarifies, in case it wasn't obvious, this he said about the spirit. So there it is. This is our water. Without him, we can do nothing. And Jesus is standing up now and he's shouting at the top of his voice for us to come and drink. And as it was with Isaac, so it is with us. Today's Philistine has stopped up and filled with earth the wells of water that we need to survive. So I want to take the next couple minutes just to ask this sobering question. What has stopped up the wells? I would like to consider three categories of answers. The first heading I would just call frontal attack. This is the obvious stuff. It's pressures from the outside, from the world, often things that we have no control over. In this group, we're very familiar with prayer requests about persecution. This could be pressures to silence the church, uh, to back down from the Lord's commands, or in our lands, laws that are against righteousness and increasingly backed by punitive measures. It's like in Acts 4, when the rulers and elders of Israel, including the high priest, solemnly charged the apostles, do not preach or even teach anymore in the name of Jesus. So, do the angry threats of powerful people stop up your wells? There's a second category I want to talk about, and I'll just call that friendly fire. These are distractions that arise from within the church herself that turn our gaze away from our need to abide in Christ. It's like in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1, the Lord says through the prophet, Ah, stubborn children, declares Yahweh. You carry out a plan, but it's not mine. You make an alliance, but not 
of my spirit. And in so doing, you add sin to sin. In the church, this could be some obsessive pursuit with other solutions. It's a Christianity that is fueled by social conservatism rather than by the Holy Spirit. And if, if somehow these causes, however just, however righteous they may be, if these causes become in your mind a postgraduate course on top of the gospel, they have become to you a distraction from Christ. Or maybe it's a doctrine that says, you know, there actually is no need for wells of water. Remember, you had a drink years ago, and you can get on just fine in a perpetual state of dehydration in a dry and thirsty land. You see, the modern Philistine does not absolutely have to meet the spirit head on and overcome his power, because no one can do that, right? All that the enemy has to do is convince us that there's something else we need more than the only provision of God. So is friendly fire keeping you from the wells of water? And the third and last heading, I'll just call fleshly weakness. And this is simply unconfessed sin, persistent, unconfessed sin. And I think at this point, it really builds on the prayers from yesterday and the weeks before. What are the sins that we live in? Pride of various sorts, divorce, adultery, pornography, prayerlessness. Psalm 24 is very clear. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Do you want to draw into that holy place, that intimate place of prayer? The answer is this, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. Revival prayer, see, revival prayer is not characterized by confessing your enemy's sins. In Wales, when the spirit fell on the prayer meeting, they prayed, Lord, bend us, break us. In Korea, the prayer meeting. It broke out into open confession in New York, one woman's anonymous request for her husband's sin. It, it resulted in multiple men standing up vying for ownership of that sin. Is unconfessed sin brought blocking up your wells? Okay, so let me close with this. Um, in verse 18, Isaac had to depart from that place into the valley of Gerar. And then this key verse in 18, Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given. Oh, blessed thought. Now we come together for this extraordinary united prayer for the revival of religion. And I think together we say, yes, Lord, we need, we desire to get at the life-giving water of Christ. It sustained Abraham. It was life and prosperity to Isaac. And you know what? We know that it sustained the next generation too, because it was at one of Jacob's wells where he 
where Christ promised the woman of Samaria, whoever drinks the water of life that I give him will never thirst. It will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So as we meet now, uh, this is our call to prayer. Think about those things that block up your wells and then resolve to do the hard work to dig them again. And the call to prayer is this, let us dig again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of our fathers. Amen.